Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSome solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or a company-wide email to share that what causes the org supported last year. GiveSum allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Mark Corthius. How are you, Mark? I'm great. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm good. Did I nail that? Did I get the last name? You you absolutely nailed it. I was just (laughs) going to say you absolutely nailed the last name. Thanks, man. As my guests know, that's my number one objective to get out of the gate strong with the get with get the name get the name right. Really good to have you on. You're the president and CEO at the Glen Rose Hospital Foundation. You and I have crossed paths in a bunch of events here in town, mainly mainly through Kalea Carrington, who I'm a big fan of the Canadian Blockchain Consortium, which we'll talk about that in a second. But rather than make any assumptions here, let's jump in the old pitch elevator. What is the Glen Rose Hospital Foundation? What's your role there? Let's let every let's let everybody into the tent, and then we'll have a conversation about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Tyler. Uh, the Glen Rose Hospital is the largest uh, tertiary specialized rehab hospital in, in the country. Uh, we specialize in seven areas, orthopedics, stroke, uh, cardiac, geriatrics, pediatrics, uh, and brain injury, spinal cord injury. So we deal with about 80,000 patient visits a year. Uh, we're one of the leading specialized rehab hospitals in the country. Uh, some would say North America. I'm going to say North America because I'm the foundation and uh, my job is to promote and raise funds for, for the foundation. Uh, <laughs> you can fact check me on that if you want. Um, and as a foundation, over the last few years, we've really been trying to carve out um, our niche in the area of, of technology and innovation in the healthcare space. The Glenrose has been, I would say, at the forefront of the utilization of health technologies for, for decades, uh, even before it was the the main thrust of the future of healthcare. And so, you know, for us now as a foundation, our focus is really on ensuring that, you know, the public governments, our donors are aware of the fact that, you know, we're really a sandbox for testing, trial, and validating the latest technologies like our brain computer interface program. Um, And so as a foundation, we're just trying to amplify that message across the province and country um, and also support financially, the innovators, uh, the technologists, and the clinicians that are doing uh, the research, the translational research, uh, to ensure that we're providing the highest standard of care for our patients uh, and for for patients across the province of Alberta and beyond. Amazing. So just to be clear, those 80,000 patients, are they Alberta-based or do they come from, from, because you mentioned like across the country or even innovative from a North American uh, perspective? Primarily Alberta-based. We see uh, a significant proportion 
we see patients from Northwest Territories. We see patients from Interior BC. Okay. Uh, we see patients come from all across the country uh, for various reasons because they want to get specialized care for a particular injury or illness. Um, we do see patients from all across Alberta that are referred to us, whether it's through the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary or, or Foothills for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, we see patients across Western Canada. And these are individuals that are kind of post-incident and now in a rehabilitation and getting trying to, you know, getting back to regular life or whatever version of that is based on kind of those seven pillars of areas of focus. Is that is that a safe way yeah. to just kind of summarize it? hundred percent. You know, okay. we say a hospital will save your life. The Glen Rose will give you your life back. Uh, so the Glen Rose <laughs> nice. is a hospital, but it's more than a hospital uh, because we were with the patients for and sometimes the rest of their lives. You know, a patient could be here when they're three years old. They they still could be with the Glen Rose when they're 30 years old okay. um, in an outpatient capacity. And so as a result of that, you know, we develop very close relationships with patients and their families. And, and they see the Glen Rose as, as part of their family in many cases. And so unlike, you know, sometimes with hospitals where you go there for a very severe uh, emergency issue, um, which is in and out or which is um, something that's been uh, very acute. The Glenrose is there to, to get you your life back. And so the, the feedback that we get from patients and their families is, is oftentimes very, very positive. I love that. Will the hospital save your life? Will give you your life back? I'm a marketer. I can't overlook that. That's a fantastic. Like, got it. Check. I don't, I, I, I can ask more, but I understand where you guys are coming from. I'm going to make a statement that could be wrong. It's my it's my um, meta model, maybe, of what how I think about mm-hmm. it. Sometimes I think of the healthcare sector as not very innovative, as slow, as takes forever, bureaucracy, uh, safety protocols, uh, and some very necessary to just like, hey, we're going to try something new. But the patients are human beings, and we have to be very careful with with what we try for new technology. When you build your business around technology and innovation in the healthcare space, first of all, am I a little bit off base with some of my assumptions around seeing healthcare as, sure, we do a lot of amazing things in technology, but oh, it takes 10 years to get anywhere, versus your building your platform around technology and innovation. Talk to me a little bit about that dichotomy and am I misinformed for starters? <laughs> um, no, I would say that's generally correct around the acute care space in particular. And there's good reasons why, you know, oftentimes uh, the risk threshold for healthcare systems is, is, is low for good reason. Um, the Glen Rose is unique uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One is the patient population. Um, I think we have the ability to test, trial, and validate new health technologies that have lower risk profiles. Um, okay. And so as a result of that, we've we've built up a culture of innovation at the hospital for the last few decades where whether you're a clinician or a therapist um, coming into the, to the hospital, um, there's that culture already embedded, and so there's been systems developed. So it's kind of like systems within the health system that are unique uh, for hospitals in the province. Um, And so, you know, I would say that healthcare systems are changing as well and they're wanting to become more innovative. Uh, It's a challenge because we do have a singular provincial healthcare system, but it's also an opportunity for for the system to really uh, innovate at scale uh, where opportunities present themselves. I think for us as as a hospital and, and a foundation we're really trying to lean into the fact that we do have that unique culture within the health system. And so a lot of innovators or entrepreneurs that have new technologies, uh, we want to invite them in and encourage them to come in and participate uh, and be a sandbox for innovation um, that can encourage adoption across other 
aspects of the system. And so, you know, we've made some fairly significant investments, not only into devices and technologies, but also into talent and people that are focused exclusively on the idea of translational research. So bringing research into clinical practice and making it applicable to patients today rather than in 10 years. Um, So I think, you know, if I were to make a pitch to the, the broader health systems of government is that like we can serve as a beacon for innovation in this province within a healthcare system in a way that's uh, actually quite low on the risk uh, profile, but also can be tested in a way that's um, safe. And, and then the research and uh, the learnings can be applied where appropriate across uh, other aspects of the system. I appreciate uh, that. Uh, thank you for clarifying, because thinking about it from a business perspective, I talked to so many companies about, oh, how do you innovate and how do you get out from under governance and especially large enterprise organizations? Everyone likes to talk about it. But sometimes we eat our own, right? We eat good ideas because, oh, that's different and we don't do it that way. And I completely understand why healthcare has those guardrails that, that need to be tight because the uh, there's a zero, it's like a zero incident environment. Like you can't, we can't afford for it to go wrong because we're dealing with humans. When it comes to what's your, um, and again, pardon me, I use it, all my lingo is like, what's your staff count? How big is your organization? I talk, I think about everything from a purely business perspective is where my brain goes. So how big is Glenrose from that perspective? What's the team size there? Yeah, um, and I want to come back to a, just a just a counter narrative that I want to bring forward around innovation within health systems. The Glenrose is about fourteen hundred um, employees that okay. you know are part time, full time. Yeah. Um, like I said, we see about eighty thousand patient visits a year. Um, you know, more and more we're working towards bringing healthcare to home. So. You know, as we talk about technologies, the utilization of, you know, wearables and sensors, um, specialized virtual care, you know, and you saw the recent announcement, I'm sure, from Nate Glubish about um, building out the Wi-Fi capabilities for rural, remote, indigenous communities. I think, you know, again, for us, we want to ensure that if a patient doesn't have to drive five hours to get a one-hour assessment, uh, and we can do that remotely, um, that's a value add to the patient. Uh, that's a value add to the the taxpayer dollars, and uh, it's just an overall better experience, I think, for all concerns. But we need to ensure that we have the the right uh, internet capabilities um, and the right setups in those rural remote communities. So I think the announcement from the provincial and federal government yesterday I can't remember how much money it was, but you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to um, in, improve the Wi-Fi capabilities for for ten thousand. Can't be ten thousand. I, I skimmed it, so I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to quote you or misquote you. I don't even know why I'm, I don't know why I'm trying. But, but just, just, just going back quickly to the. Um, but it's the what that, it's what that allows to happen is what we're really exactly. talking about here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's unlocking uh, new opportunities for healthcare like we've never seen before. Just going back to the narrative um, around healthcare being slow as it comes to innovation. You know, one of the the things that I'm really interested in is is, is not so much talking about you know, why it's slow, but looking for areas where we can have uh, quicker wins and also sharing stories where we have had some significant success. Um, so we partnered, the Glenrose partnered with a company, which you may be familiar with based out of Calgary called Nanotest. Okay. Nanotest. And they provide um, specialized uh, wound care. It's a cream. It's actually technically a medical device, but it's a, it's a cream that um, has been proven to uh, improve wound care uh, significantly more than the the standard of care currently in place, and so we had received funding through the foundation, which is again kind of unique, I think, for foundations in the province, maybe in the country, through pr- 
Prairies Can Economic Development, okay. um, which is a federal agency that's trying to drive economic development in the country. And so I've, had, received- uh, I've, had, I've had Derek on the show. And okay, Derek Armstrong. Derek's fantastic. So if anybody's curious, just search Derek Armstrong Collisions. It's a good episode. You'll learn all about Prairies okay. Can and, the, and yes. the cool work they're doing. So. So, you, so you know about Prairies Can. I do, yeah, they, I do. They had provided us funding so that we could work alongside uh, entrepreneurs and technology companies and so we had uh, done a uh, challenge, a healthcare challenge with uh, the Hunter Hub in Calgary back okay. in 2020. Nanotest was the winner. We gave them $100,000. Um, and, and we also were able to have them access our patient population in the Glenrose to do some, some testing of their product. And so they had just um, finished a study in partnership with the health system, with AHS and, and the university. Um, to, to prove out the, their case. And so they had had access to several sites, not only the Glen Rose, and they had some continuing care facilities as well. Um, but they're now selling into AHS after like two or three years of, of doing this work. Um, they were able to validate their technology in partnership with the health system. Uh, and now they're, the patients love it because, you know, a lot of um, spinal cord injury patients uh, have have pressure sores that they yeah. get from being in a wheelchair. It's actually a very big problem, um, and so to be able to heal those quicker using a uh, it's a I'm going to screw it up, but it's like a it's a cream, it's a gel uh, that uses this nanotechnology to improve uh, the efficacy of how quickly those wounds can heal. So interesting. Um, I've gone a little was, bit down the rabbit hole of nanotechnology in general, and yeah, yeah not enough have, not enough to explain it to my grandmother, kind of thing. But I get, I kind of get it. <laughs> you should have Megan on. She's a brilliant. Um, okay. Well, all right. Brilliant well, entrepreneur. This and, is always uh, how I find my next guest. It's exactly like this. <laughs> yes. But all that to say is that you know that was the result of a, a willing healthcare system, yeah. a a partner in the federal government, a foundation that could act as a you know outside of the system, but connected to the system yeah, yeah, yeah. and then entrepreneurs all working together. And so I think those stories should be told, be told more about how the system and foundations uh, and, and the government are working together to try to enable innovation. And sometimes it's challenging and slow, but um, I think more and more we're going to see bigger wins coming out of uh, Alberta health services um, and other health systems across the country because technology is advancing so rapidly and either we keep pace or try to keep pace with technology or else it's just going to blow us by um, and we're not going to be able to benefit from all of the rapid advances that are taking place across all of the multiple domains that technology is advancing towards. I really like the example that you use because from the outside, all that bureaucracy and all those different divisions, departments, and different stakeholder groups can seem like a disadvantage, can seem like the weakness, not the strength. But how do you get everybody in the same room and align and go, well, we're all kind of after the same thing. And how if my needs are met and your needs are met, how do we actually go forward? But you're right. The more we tell those stories, the more, you know, I love the art of the possible. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, if they could do it, what does that look like over here? Yeah. And I talk to a lot of startups, you know, especially anyone in the healthcare space, it can be very daunting very quickly when they've got this great idea and then it's just wall roadblock after roadblock after roadblock or certainly mm-hmm. the stories I've heard around that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's also important to remember that, you know, the provincial healthcare system in Alberta was created in 2010 and it was an amalgamation of a bunch of individual systems. Yeah. And so there's still a lot of legacy. Um, what could go wrong? <laughs> outcomes from that. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think there's a lot of willing people in the system that want to work collaboratively, and more and more that's going to become the case. And so if you were an entrepreneur or somebody that wants to work with the healthcare system, I wouldn't say put all your eggs in that basket, but I would say that 
you know, it is it is on you also to understand how to navigate that system. Because if you're in healthcare innovation, um, you're going to want to work with health systems. And so yeah. rather than be frustrated or, you know, shit on the system, it's like, you know, either make it better or learn how to navigate with it <laughs> as it is. And so what I want to do is both make it better and also understand how to navigate it um, because I like complex, like, I like understanding complex things and trying to distill them to their simplest parts. And I like helping people navigate complex ideas and systems. Um, but I also like to make things simpler where possible. And so that's where I think the see positive, power see positive outcomes in. as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and from an innovative perspective, I'll call this out because it's a little bit how we met um, from your involvement with the Canadian blockchain and your ability to accept donations through cryptocurrency. And and I'm really calling these out because that was very, from my understanding, very innovative for your an organization like yours and the structure that is in to even do something like that. Because there's talking about innovation, then there's actually being innovative. Sometimes they're two different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we... Um, when COVID-19 happened in 2020, I think all charities were... We're, we're shit scared, much like every every other business totally. uh, around the world. And so, you know, the the main thrust has been for for charities has been you know significant donations from from individuals and and governments. And so, you know, we were thinking, a how do we diversify our revenue streams? I think that's what every charity and not for profits thinking. Even now, you know, how do we diversify our revenue streams? How do we innovate as an organization to? Um, you know, drive impact for our mission. Um, and, and for me, it was a bit, you know, I would say it was one step deeper than that is, you know, obviously there's a, a market, uh, a cryptocurrency market that has significant wealth generated for a large number of individuals. But also for us, there's two other layers. One is that, you know, if we want to be an innovative foundation, an innovative hospital, and we want to start talking about that from a marketing perspective, as a foundation, we also have to be innovative. And and where can you really be innovative? We don't have control, direct control of the hospital. Uh, we're, we're a funder or a fundraiser, so we deal with money. Yeah. And cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, it's a monetary innovation. It's a monetary technology that's that's innovating on the, the the legacy fiat system. And so for us, as much as you know, some people were like, "Well, what are you doing? Like that doesn't make." It's like actually that makes perfect sense the way you, you just know? set it up it does it actually it would makes, make less sense for you not to do it <laughs> it would it would make less sense for us not to do it yeah and so you know me personally i have a fairly deep interest in in bitcoin and and monetary systems and so you know it's very natural for us to embark on that journey and you know i would say that the connection that we made with Kalea and the canadian blockchain consortium was you know one of the the the, the most amazing partnerships that we could have had because Kalea is a force of nature um, (laughs) and and she's been able to bring in so many different partners and so be able to meet people like yourself and now I'm on this podcast so now I have another captive audience Mm -hmm. um, as a result of of accepting cryptocurrencies as donations (laughs) and going down that NFT (laughs) metaverse path Um, so yeah I mean we got some people were and it's, it's so funny how things how fast things move and in, in that space where that was February of 2022. So just over a year ago. Okay. And I thought I didn't realize it was that, that recent. I thought it was by, by not that reason. I thought it was maybe two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was February, February, 2022. And then you look at now. So that was very, it was, there was some risk in that because cryptocurrencies were still per, had some per, of course. perceptions of issues, environment issues, all those 
kind of fear, uncertainty, and doubt issues. And then you fast forward to today, and you see all of the big institutions are coming in. BlackRock, who is the largest uh, asset manager in the world, who were saying Bitcoin was some sort of Ponzi scheme three years ago, now they're trying to get into the into the market. And so, you know, now it's, it seems like it's there's an inevitability to to Bitcoin. Um, it does. Today, seem, that, I, I agree with that. You. It was yeah. less less so back in February twenty. Even even yeah, less so even not like a year and a half ago. Yeah, <laughs> where yeah. now people can go, oh yeah, obviously you would do that. Versus like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? This is a distraction. You're wasting time. I could I could imagine all the rhetoric you would you would have gone. Curious, and you don't have to give me the details, but has it proved out successful as a marketing? tactic and i'm not trying to minimize it versus an actual donation channel well it's been a it's been a bit of both okay i would assume the the marketing side of things has certainly been a boon for us um the canadian blockchain consortium committed a hundred thousand dollars uh for our new imagination center which is a significant sum of money so you know that in of itself has been been big (laughs) we we created some nft pieces of art um which we sold for ten thousand dollars each and that again people can critique nfts and you know i I can critique nfts too but i think there's there's a beauty in that creation because we had a patient uh who has severe uh communication and and mobility challenges uh utilize our one of our technologies which is a brain to computer interface um to create that piece of art herself um and so we were using a health technology to create art which we then you know, NF, we created an NFT just for the, you know, that is a little bit of fun for marketing, but we also sold the physical piece of art too. So, you know, I think anytime you can connect an innovation to an innovation across two different <laughs> domains, um, that that's pretty fun. And so you some, know, we also, some, someone might call you innovative at the end of all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Innovation plus innovation <laughs> equals innovation, I guess. Yeah, I, and so um, squared. <laughs> squared, yeah. And so, yeah, the marketing stuff has been great. Uh, the fundraising has been good. I would say that, you know, and I say this to other charities because so there's there's actually 70 health foundations in the province of Alberta. It oh, wow. generates okay. about $300 million a year in revenue for, for the healthcare system. And the number one question that health foundations were asking in 2022, how do I accept cryptocurrencies as donations? Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of interest from other charities asking us this question. You, and, you, you, know, you, you I, spun up the consulting version, the consulting version of your business, of the foundation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been pro bono today. Yes, I assumed that, it was. I assumed it was a bad business model for me. Yeah, but, but you know, the, rising tides raise all boats. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that I say to them is that. It, if you expect to put a widget on your website um, and all of a sudden all these people are going to come and make donations, it's just not going to happen. You have to have a direct uh, connection between your mission. Um, it has to make and sense. What right? It has to make a lot of sense. And so for some, it might not. I mean, you can always put a widget on there and, you know, you never know. Um, but you have to really integrate it into your business model if you want it to make sense. And for us, it, it did. And for me personally, I had a, a particular personal interest in the space. And so... You know, it's been, I would say it's been intellectually interesting. It's been good from a marketing perspective. It's been good from a revenue perspective. Um, And we hope to advance that strategy in a more sophisticated way going forward. Like we were talking about, you know, how we could add Bitcoin on our balance sheet, similar to what Michael Saylor did with MicroStrategy. You know, that hasn't really come to pass. Um, You know, I think when February 22 came, there's a lot of excitement in the space, and then the summer came, and there was, 
you know, the crypto winter or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say our summer, our summer crypto's winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so there, you know, a lot of people that were talking big, you know, in February. Yeah. All of a sudden, they weren't they weren't answering the phone calls about those those novel ideas come June. So, but based you know, on its on its track record, things will work they will work themselves through the cycle. As you can look back at the Bitcoin journey, and we're just yeah. on the journey. It's never yes. been any different, right? Yeah. So I hope yeah. I hope they I hope they call me back here once. Uh, <laughs> well, but, we'll put this podcast it, in front of them, and we'll see. Uh, <laughs> But and I appreciate, like, you know, with something, uh, just to talk a bit philo- maybe philosophically, when, when you're in business and you decide to take on something new, I like what you said, like, you had an interest and a passion for it. If it's just a, like, oh, this is a business thing, we'll put it up on our website and hope it work out. Those were often like, oh, that didn't work out for us. That little extra fire, that little extra passion you need as a business owner, as a leadership team to go, all right, we're going to push this because we kind of don't know, but we're excited enough about it to get through the... Uh, this is kind of discouraging phase because there always is that phase, multiple cycles of it. And I love that you kind of brought it like, well, I think it makes sense for the business and I'm personally interested in it. I'm willing to take the chance and give it a try. And sometimes that is, it sounds loose, but it's it. that's a, oftentimes what I hear when someone goes, oh, where'd you come up with this big idea? I was just passionate about it and I stuck with it long enough to make it work. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a deeper philosophical conversation to be had at maybe your audience will like it. Some people don't care when I talk about this, but <laughs> you know, if, if you're a, if you're a, any sort of organization that's trying to improve society in any, any, any way, shape or form, um, and, and you keep on putting money towards things, but the problems seem to be getting worse. You got to ask yourself, <laughs> what's the problem with the money? Yeah. Right. And so for me, someone who's been in the, the, health foundation sector i was previously the ceo of the mental health foundation you know you look at mental health and we've gone on this journey of stigma reduction 20 years ago um and then we've advocated for more funding which has started to happen and now you look and the the data is not showing uh, a market change of improvement it's showing actually some worse outcomes um, and so then you ask yourself, well, do you create a better program? Do you create a better yeah, yeah. widget? Do you, do you do ketamine? Do you do psychedelics? And it's like, well, no, I think we have some structural issues with our society that go to the, the money layer. And so Bitcoin is a, is a proposed solve for that. And so if you care about society and you care about it, having a social impact, you have to think about that in a very deep way if you really truly want to impact change and so for me why i was so passionate about it was that it's like i'm agnostic towards what is going to create the biggest impact but i do want to ensure that we leave no stone unturned because i don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result uh, and oftentimes that's what we're doing in charities is that you know we're putting good money after bad because there's these cycles of whether it's government funding or expectations from certain funders and you know i think there needs to be a a deeper think about what it is we're trying to do as a society and what role charities can play and so you know as a result i was you know fully committed to that that idea and uh you, you really couldn't convince me um that it wasn't worth pursuing from the perspective of running the foundation president and ceo role you have accountability you probably have you i'm sure you have a board is I also assume that there is an organization behind you that allows some bandwidth and allows you the latitude or the runway or whatever metaphor you want to use to be able to pursue some of these things that can be sound very philosophical at their depth, but sooner or later turn into like, are we going to do this or are we not? Because it's the rubber needs to meet the road. 
I'm assuming there's an organization behind you that also allows you some latitude to do that. Yeah, I mean, my board hired me on a mandate of change and innovation. And so, you know, I had that remit from the start. And I would say, though, um, I also had to have a very deep conviction and business case for why something like that would make sense for the board. And, you know, I have a very forward-looking board that has provided me a lot of latitude to do a lot of different things. Um, and also being very comfortable with the fact that, again, if you want to be innovative and you try things, things will necessarily fail, right? And so we've some, done some, some, some might say the majority of the time. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and we've done some things like, you know, we had this event um, that we tried a few years ago. It was the first in-person event we did um, after COVID. And, and traditionally, we do this this gala event, which did, okay. you know, reasonably well for us. And we, we tried something just completely different. Um, and it fell flat for any number of reasons. And, you know, from a revenue perspective, from a participation, all, all that stuff, right? And, uh, but it was, it was different. It was novel. It was, it was new. And I remember going to our finance committee and like, you know, one of the, one of the committee members has said, you know, like, like they were just very positive about the fact that we at least tried something different. They weren't looking at it and go, well, why didn't you do the, the old thing, whatever. And so, you know, to, to have, uh, uh, a board and committees and, and partners alongside you that not only hire you to do something, but then support you when things go a bit sideways uh, is, is necessary for, you know, any sort of new or, or novel idea that, that has to be tried. And so, yeah, I'm very appreciative of that. No, it makes a lot of sense. You know, when you say, oh, innovation, it's, you immediately default to the innovation that worked and the cool ideas and the new things versus, and I would say a lot of the people I talk to, whether it's uh, Calgary Food Bank, uh, Alberta Cancer, Cups, a lot of the executive directors are friends of mine, and I've had them on the show. The face of the non-for-profit, the face for fundraising is changing. <laughs> Individuals want more connection. I, they, you know, they talked about the benefit of online versus the sometimes disconnection that happens with your individual donors, that people don't, is the gala still a good idea? Because gala was the go-to for so many organizations. So I, I'm not, I have no answers, but I've been having a lot of conversations around this topic on, you know, like everything, the world's changing <laughs> and it affects everything that, you know, it encompasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's also a demographic shift um, in terms of the the funders mm. and donors that are supporting the organizations There's a demographic shift in the, in the leaders of those organizations. And there's also a, a yearning for, um, something different. Um, and so as a charity or not-for-profit, two terms I actually despise. Um, you know, there, there's a necessary blending of, you know, the business mindset with the uh, social impact mindset. And so, you know, for me, I want to have a, have a tangible impact that shows a return on investment for our donors. And, and that means improving the standard of care for patients, uh, ideally at scale. But, you know, sometimes it may be that one patient because it's something very specialized. But ideally at scale, ideally, you know, when I leave this role, that I've had a marked difference on the trajectory of how we deliver care that has benefit for, for, for all of society. And that means that I have to... You know, not just say, oh, I'm this, you know, passive fundraiser that does a gal every year and holds my hand out for, 
you know, a major donation or sponsorship. Like, I'll still do that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can email me. <laughs> it you is, can email it, me it is part of the model. I got so it. I'm, I'm definitely not beneath that. And um, <laughs> contact me at markcorthius at gmail.com. But, um, but that being said, I think uh, in these roles, you have to have a much more nuanced understanding of what you're trying to do and what other people are trying to do. You have to understand the complexities of you know what it is that the executives at the health system want to do what it is the researchers at the universities want to do and how you can bring people together uh, in a collaborative way and 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 also really try to incentivize people to collaborate and and, and to do that you have to understand their incentives you know and so yep. everything's driven by incentives and so to expect that you're just going to you know raise money and then throw money somewhere uh, when there's misaligned incentives, it's just not going to work. And so you have to ask yourself, am I going to do something about the incentives or I'm going to hope that somebody else does something about the incentives? <laughs> and the reality is when you're trying to collaborate across multiple organizations or systems, nobody's incentivized to try to change the other person's incentive. But, yeah. but we are as a foundation, and that's a unique vantage point that we have is that I don't really care whether it's the universities or the health systems or industry partners. It's like I have this end goal of improving the standard of care for patients. And so how do I get everybody to work together? I have a lever that's funding. I have a lever that's uh, public relations, that's advocacy. And I'm going to use that lever, but I need to understand how I can use it in a way that doesn't alienate. It brings people in, but it also incentivizes them to want to work in a, in a collaborative fashion that optimizes everybody's time, energy, and resources. Hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Hey, curious, charity, non-for-profit, that was a quite passionate, I hate those terms. What, 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 which I, what is the right term? What is the, how would you, how do we categorize what we're talking about? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. There was actually this conversation on LinkedIn being had, and some people use social impact. Um, okay. Yep. Mm for impact i don't know i'm also the problem with it is that i'm also not really into like jargony new terms you know so it's like um, i'm a marketer so i'm into it by default but i hear you i'm like oh my god buzzword bingo i don't know you should give us some thought because yeah okay all right i'm I'm not gonna i make no claims of having any perspective here Um, yeah i've always read the the not-for-profit one i've always wrestled with because i'm like we're missing the narrative here and we're not Mm -hmm. enough like i think it was dan pilata years ago i got turned on to Mm -hmm. about why the whole fundraising why it's broken and i a buddy of mine brought him to town very passionate individual about why we should not call it not-for-profits i've been in the room with him and he is jazzed up about the fact we're doing it wrong for anyone who's not um he believes that we're completely coming at the non-for-profit or the for-impact space incorrectly by underpaying our, our leaders by always playing small, by not treating it like a real business, was his mind, yeah. which I appreciated his perspective. Mm. Yeah, like the thing about not for, like for-profit tells you what you are endeavoring to do. Not-for-profit tells you what you're not endeavoring to do. <laughs> so that's why I don't like it's that. Like a way, it's and like then, a way from towards, right? What are you moving towards versus what are you actually moving away exactly. from? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, just want, I just want something that we're moving towards looking to the future so you know i just avoid those terms and then i'll leave it to the, the smart guys like you to come up with the with the catchy new I, I, vernacular. I, I, I appreciate the why not that like let's establish why we don't like that as far as what's the yeah. better version Meh, well that's a that's a bigger jump yeah from the 
from a funding perspective, I guess with the Glen Rose, the Glen Rose Foundation, your soul, because you can choose to now fund different, like with nano with nanotech. I'm just curious the balance of what goes towards the hospital. I'm just thinking about if I had a whiteboard and I could dry out. Okay, we've got the Glen Rose Foundation. You're making you're making plays. You're making bets on companies like Nanotest, and then then also through your relationship was able to provide an environment where they could actually test and use their product. So just understanding your mandate on the course of the year, how much money goes into those types of plays or those types of bets versus how much goes right back to the foundation to kind of just fund operations. Yeah, I mean, that that nanotest example is fairly unique. I mean, we had a funder in Prairie's Can who had given us funding for a restricted purpose. That and, had a mandate um, tied to it. Right? That, had, that had a mandate yeah, yeah, tied yeah. to it. I got it. Um, yeah. There was applications for our, re, our po- patient population as well. Um, so that was a unique kind of challenge project that we did. We're going to be doing more of those, I would say. Um, you know, we have, we have funding available that we provide every year to the, the hospital for you know, direct patient care or for staff supports, things that are more transactional or one-time in nature. Um, you know, more and more, though, we're making uh, multi-year commitments to, you know, we want to make the Glen Rose one of the preeminent research rehab hospitals in the country, if not the world. I think we have all the assets and elements to do that. And so I think what we're lacking right now, aside from um, a purpose-built space, and I'm not talking about a new hospital, but we want to have a purpose-built space where, it's, it's kind of like a collision lab where academics and uh, clinicians and industry partners can all work together where the patients are are together that's that's our that's our vision going forward but also we need to, we need to fund talent because right now as it as it pertains to Alberta health services and I think this culture is going to change and I think it has to change you know there's not enough time allocated for staff to focus on novel novel things or new things or different ways to treat patients and so you know, right now we're, fun- we're funding those people. We're funding that time, and we're going to continue to do so quite aggressively. Um, and so, you know, we, we exist for the hospital, but, you know, more than that, we exist for the patients that touch the hospital. And then more than that, we exist for the patients that require some form of rehabilitation to get back to their, their best lives. And so um, that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm not going to be... I would say pigeonholed into supporting things that don't fit with our mm-hmm. uh, strategy around innovation. But by the same token, I want to ensure that the hospital is is we're seen as supporting the hospital on you know the the, the little things as much as as the big things because mm. um, they deserve that too. The staff deserve that. The patients deserve that. Um, and so we're trying to strike a balance right now between making those big bets. Um, and ensuring that we're still supporting um, our staff and patients on a day-to-day basis where they need it. So, mm-hmm. but it's tough because we don't have uh, we don't have infinite resources. But again, <laughs> you don't have an, you don't have an endless budget and time to manage Foundation.com/slash/donate cryptocurrency <laughs> any of those Bitcoin OGs that are just holding on to their thousands of Bitcoin. Just feel free to drop us that are feeling that pressure Bitcoin. to do something good with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, one Bitcoin would be a good start would be accepted uh, circling back on the the brain computer interface uh initiative because that's the one i have got exposure to i've watched the video a couple yeah. times obviously we were at a, at a similar event that i was emceeing so i got to be kind of front row center for that something like that and just to give the audience a quick and you can fill in i'm gonna well we should post the link to it because it's a great video but essentially it was a, a a ball this little computer controlled ball that they applied paint to and this individual non-verbal i'm not sure what where her limitations were or weren't but she was able to control the ball with her mind to paint a picture 
And just to say that out loud, it sounds like what? Wait a second. What? What? What was she doing? Talk. Maybe <laughs> fill in a few of the blanks around that because it was amazing to watch, and it was it was like watching sci-fi to a certain extent. But this was something very practical that you know. And then that initiative itself was that a targeted, funded initiative that you know took years to come to fruition. And we will share the video so people can know what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, the the brain to computer interface is really our, our I would say our flagship. Um, nice. translational research program that we've been working on for the past few years. Um, we're embedding it in what we're calling the Imagination Center. So this is our vision to have a purpose-built space where we can test, trial, and validate the latest, uh, most cutting-edge new technologies. This is the first of, so let's call it the Brain Computer Interface Lab, the first cool. lab that we've been investing in. And so what BCI is, um, is utilizing it for, for patients that have severe mobility or communication issues, at present, we're, we're using a specialized headset, which is connected to a, a computer interface. And, and what the specialized headset does is is read the brain signals of the, of the patient. And so it reads their intentions. And so patients may not be able to communicate verbally, but they do have cognitive functioning. And so really what we're doing with some of these more um, severely um, challenged patients is, is unlocking um, their minds for the very first time. And so... What, so what cool. you're able to do is connect the headset to the computer interface and using machine learning algorithms, uh, read their, their intentions, their brain signals, and, and then you can connect that to any sort of device you want. And so in this example, we connected it to a, a spheral ball, and she was able to just think, push, think, pull, think, move, and it was able to move the, the spheral ball utilizing the power of technology. And so you know we're starting to use that across multiple different applications. And so that same patient... Um, Olivia, we connected uh, the computer to her wheelchair. And so her dad spoke at our gala, um, and he said that she has the world record for the longest time driving her wheelchair just by thinking 660 meters, which is six football fields. And so don't, don't that fact is, check that is so That is so cool, though. I love it. I, oh, even yeah. if it was 650 or 670, it's still a good story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we have patients now and their families who three years ago they were thinking about limitations and now they're thinking about hope and aspirations for the future of a patient who wants to be a crane operator in the future, right? So, And you can imagine a world where... Uh, you can connect the, the computer interface to a, a, a crane and they can operate a crane. You can think about independent living and, and just connecting the brain computer interface to, to light switches, to appliances. Um, and so the application right now is very specialized. Uh, we're slowly branching out into different um, patient populations. We started with the pediatric patient population. We're now moving into adults. We're now moving into thinking about the application of the brain-computer interface uh, on on muscle recovery. So we use something that's called a functional electrical stimulation device. And so if you're having challenges with muscle atrophy, atrophy, um, you can connect this, you know, like... This would be the easy Dr. Ho, you know, Dr. Ho, like the, yeah, it's, I think we've it's all seen that infomercial. <laughs> the Dr. Ho infomercial. This is similar to that where it stimulates your muscles using electrodes uh, with, but how that works. This is, this is new to me. So I'm, I'm going to say it and probably butcher it because it's the first yep. time I'm repeating it, but that's okay. We're, we're trying new things here. We're innovating yep. um, with, with the, the, the traditional FES system is that you're, stimulating your muscle and then that's then 
traveling back to your brain. And so it's actually the inverse of how your brain works. And so what we're now doing on a research study is uh, having, see, yeah. the B, having the BCI activate the FES. And so it's a more traditional route of which the brain uh, activates the signals for the muscle. Um, and so we're trying BCI across numerous different applications. Um, we're using it now in stroke recovery and uh, we're about to hire a chair at the University of Alberta focused specifically on the application of brain-computer interfaces uh, as well. So um, super excited about that. But, you know, we, we see that as just the, the first phase of scaling out our translational research lab at the hospital. We do want to build a purpose-built space. So, again, I want to give a plug because I do want uh, to see government come in and support us in those endeavors because, you know, I read this quote the other day about how, you know, we are we are built on oil and gas, and uh, we'll forever be grateful that, for that. But innovation is our new Alberta advantage, and you're seeing it in Calgary. Um, you are like like and, right now. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a unique opportunity for government to use the Glen Rose as a health system innovation advantage and a sandbox for for companies and um, for for better standards of care across the board. That might be the mic drop right there, Mark. That was good. <laughs> you wrapped that perfectly up. So interesting. And I, I liked that we took a few minutes at the end just to kind of quote unquote geek out on some of the possibilities. And, you know, I'm having conversations with people and there's an easy conversation right now around AI and oh, the negative and the overlords. And we've all watched Terminator too many times. And, but when you start to see the impact, were you at, were you at, were you at Inventures this year? Were you part of the yeah. many, many of yeah. us that were there? Did you see yeah. the futurist? I forget his name, the Jap- the Japanese individual who yes, spoke I on did. the last day. Yes. And yeah. one of his one of his future predictions was the human machine interface and what we were seeing with rehabilitation, especially with um, in the military community in the U.S. and the gentleman who kicked out the soccer ball this year, uh, I think at the World Cup, was using a, a rig that was driven through his uh, neural brain function. So it's just interesting to see. You know, you you look at technology enough, you start to see the the lines start to converge and. I don't know. I'm, I've, you know, what is it? The future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. I think that's an exactly. old, that's an old, that's an old yep. quote. It's easy to get pretty excited about the positive impacts on humanity that these things are having. And, you know, seeing that just the, the video around the brain computer interface, but taking that to the wheelchair and the, just to me, the crane operator who actually could be better than someone who didn't have those limitations because it's direct mm-hmm. to that. Like just that starts to excite me mm-hmm. of the future of like, literally it's like a sci-fi. We've all seen these sci-fi movies. We're about to live in them. <laughs> T- totally. And then that's why we like to say, you know, we're trying to reimagine human ability um, because you can mm-hmm. see how one example or two examples can start to evoke imagination in your own mind, right? About, okay, well, what I thought was pos- impossible before now my 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 thesis has been rebuked, and so now I have to <laughs> blown up I and burned. To, I, my whole mental model has now been yes. fractured, and I need to reassess what is possible. And then you realize that you know anything's possible because you actually don't have the right mental models already. So I think that's incredibly exciting. I think that you know it's important for all of us to you know try to reduce the cynicism uh, as much as possible, reduce the the friction. Um, amongst us as much as possible because it's, you can go there too, like you said, with AI. Um, and there's obviously um, negative implications that any technology of can course. have if you let it. And uh, I think for us, especially with health foundations, like, you know, and I can be as cynical as the, as, as the best of them, but, you know, I try really hard to maintain a vision of, of optimism, even if it's not practical. Um, because there's, it's not fun 
it's not fun the other way. So no, being cynical long enough leads you. Sooner or later, you're in a dark room by yourself, drinking. <laughs> you don't know, listen to depressing music. Like it's not a fun <laughs> path. And I get it. You want to look at things with a critical eye. But I love what you said. Like never underestimate the limitations of your orthodoxies, your mental model that seems mm-hmm. very real to you. Until you just explain why I've done podcasting for three years because every show I go. Oh shit! Well, that changes how I think about that. <laughs> it's, I'm, that's literally I'm addicted to it. I'm already just the crane operator. That 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 little nugget you dropped has pushed my brain into a new direction. I can already see that like that whole channel opening up now. So I'm like, well, well, shit. Where could that go from an equipment perspective? And then high risk environments, and the person doesn't have to be there, but they're so connected. Anyways, my brain is spinning up that idea now that you <laughs> dropped it on me. Uh, Mark, so good to chat with you and get like, again, we've know each other, but now I got to know you and I got to know what you do and from a philosophical and a very practical perspective, which I really appreciate. And since you've been very clear so far, we're going to overtly do it again. If I'm sitting here with Bitcoin in one hand or my checkbook or credit card in the other, what is the best way for me to support what you do at Glen Rose Hospital Foundation? <laughs> yeah, easiest way, glenrosefoundation.com. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, at Mark Corthius. And if you, if you do see this, and you do text me on any of those channels, I will get back to you within probably uh, four hours. So nice. I, I okay, put, that's, put, that's a fair put, promise. Let's I put that challenge out to you, but you have okay. to say you're going to donate one Bitcoin. That's my, <laughs> that's yeah, my, my, my response time has uh, has um, strings it, attached. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a reducing scale based on the amount. So. <laughs> No, I appreciate it. And no, when you're out there racing, you got to be a little bit blatant about it. And you know, you have to be, you got to ask. It's like being in sales. Did you ask for the sale? Did you ask for the donation? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you've nailed that today. And uh, I loved uh, being able to pull back the curtain a little bit and get an understanding. And I think there's so much exciting going out there. And, you know, and in Calgary, like you said, this, this innovation superpower that we're developing and becoming our own, you know, I hated, I hated the early days of the podcast. People like, oh, we want to, you know, our, you know, we'll be like our version of Silicon Valley. I'm like, no, we'll be our version of us. Like Silicon mm-hmm. Valley already did Silicon Valley. Waterloo already did Waterloo. And Calgary's really starting to find its own in the last three years. That's changed quite a bit. And I'm pretty excited about that just to give a blatant plug to the, to the, to the overused word ecosystem that we, that is truly, <laughs> and our ability to collaborate and kind of like, you know, you and I just meet and then we introduce each other to somebody else. And that is one of the superpowers we have here that I think we are taking advantage of. I, really uh, I, I agree. And just, to, I know we got to go, but I moved here from Saskatoon when I was 18, and the first thing that immediately hit me was how entrepreneurial, collaborative, and uh, hardworking that Albertans are. And I also lived in Calgary, and and also genuine and authentic about wanting to help out the fellow man or woman. And so I moved back here for that specific reason. Nice. And we're we're not Toronto, we're not Silicon Valley. I don't want to live there. I want to live <laughs> Another, here yeah, totally for those reasons. And we need to lean into those attributes that we have as a province uh, because I think they're so uh, welcoming and, and inclusive and, um, and and powerful and, and not to try to be somebody else because we have all these amazing yeah. characteristics already and so it's just important that we, we harness them um, more and forget about trying to be someone else. Uh, completely. And I think we're slowly falling into that but Three, four years ago, these there were very different conversations I was having on the show compared to the ones I have today. So it's fun to even just be on, be on that journey in for the sake of it, a very short period of time. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mark, fantastic getting to know you. Thanks for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. I feel that this rabbit hole is deep and we could go for another hour, but I think hopefully you gave the guests a really good idea of who you are, what you do. And my ultimate goal is people are just curious enough to go check out your website and, and, le- and learn more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and thank you for, for allowing me the opportunity and, and amplifying the message about the work of the, the hospital. Uh, yeah, and it's been great chat with you and great getting to know you a little bit better as well. Pleasure. Thanks, my friend. Take care.